Section 22 of Elia and the Last Essays of Elia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. Elia and the Last Essays of Elia by Charles Lamb. The Praise of Chimney Sweepers. I like to meet a sweep understand me not a grown sweeper old chimney sweepers are by no means attractive but one of those tender novices blooming through their first nigritude the maternal washings not quite effaced from the cheek such as come forth with the dawn or somewhat earlier with their little professional note sounding like the beep beep of a young sparrow or liker to the matin lark should i pronounce them in their aerial accents not seldom anticipating the sunrise i have a kindly yearning towards these dim specks poor blots innocent blacknesses i reverence these young africans of our own growth these almost clergy imps who sport their cloth without assumption and from their little pulpits, the tops of chimneys, in the nipping air of a December morning, preach a lesson of patience to mankind. When a child, what a mysterious pleasure it was to witness their operation, to see a chit no bigger than oneself enter, one knew not by what process, into what seemed the Fauquet's of Ernie, to pursue him in imagination as he went sounding on through so many dark stifling caverns horrid shades to shudder with the idea that now surely he must be lost for ever to revive at hearing his feeble shout of discovered daylight and then oh fullness of delight running out of doors to come just in time to see the sable phenomenon emerge in safety the brandished weapon of his art victorious like some flag waved over a conquered citadel i seem to remember having been told that a bad sweep was once left in a stack with his brush to indicate which way the wind blew it was an awful spectacle certainly not much unlike the old stage direction in macbeth where the apparition of a child crowned with a tree in his hand rises reader if thou meetest one of these small gentry in thy early rambles it is good to give him a penny it is better to give him tuppence if it be starving weather and to the proper troubles of his hard occupation a pair of kibed heels no unusual accompaniment be superadded the demand on thy humanity will surely rise to a tester there is a composition, the groundwork of which I have understood to be the sweet wood eclept sassafras. This wood boiled down to a kind of tea, and tempered with an infusion of milk and sugar, hath to some tastes a delicacy beyond the china luxury. I know not how thy palate may relish it for myself, with every deference to the judicious Mr. Reed, who hath time out of mind kept open a shop, the only one he avers in London, for the vending of this wholesome and pleasant beverage on the south side of Fleet Street, as thou approachest Bridge Street, the only Salopian house, I have never yet adventured to dip my own particular lip in a basin of his commended ingredients a cautious premonition to the olfactories constantly whispering to me that my stomach must infallibly with all due courtesy decline it 
Yet I have seen palates, otherwise not uninstructed in dietetical elegances, sup it up with avidity. I know not by what particular conformation of the organ it happens, but I have always found that this composition is surprisingly gratifying to the palate of a young chimney-sweeper, whether the oily particles, sassifras is slightly oleaginous, do attenuate and soften the fuliginous concretions, which are sometimes found in dissections, to adhere to the roof of the mouth in these unfledged practitioners, or whether nature, sensible that she has mingled too much of a bitter wood in the lot of these raw victims, caused to grow out of the earth her sassafras for a sweet lenative, but so it is that no possible taste or odour to the senses of a young chimney-sweeper can convey a delicate excitement comparable to this mixture. Being penniless, they will yet hang their black heads over the ascending steam to gratify one sense if possible, seemingly no less pleased than those domestic animals, cats, when they purr over a new-found sprig of valerian. There is something more in these sympathies than philosophy can inculcate. Now, albeit Mr. Reed boasteth, not without reason, that his is the only Salopian house, yet be it known to thee, reader, if thou art one who keepest what are called good hours, thou art haply ignorant of the fact he hath a race of industrious imitators, who, from stores and under open sky, dispense the same savoury mess to humbler customers at that dead time of the dawn when as extremes meet the rake reeling home from his midnight cups and the hard-handed artisan leaving his bed to resume the premature labours of the day jostle not unfrequently to the manifest disconcerting of the former for the honours of the pavement it is the time when, in summer, between the expired and the not yet relumined kitchen fires, the kennels of our fair metropolis give forth the least satisfactory odours. The rake who wisheth to dissipate his o'ernight vapours in more grateful coffee curses the ungenial fume as he passeth, but the artisan stops to taste and blesses the fragrant breakfast. This is Saloup, the precocious herwoman's darling, the delight of the early gardener who transports his smoking cabbages by break of day from Hammersmith to Covent City's famed piazzas, the delight and, oh, I fear, too often the envy of the unpennied sweep. Him shouldst thou haply encounter, with his dim visage pendant over the grateful steam, regale him with a sumptuous basin. It will cost thee but three halfpennies, and a slice of delicate bread and butter, an added halfpenny. So may thy culinary fires, eased of the o'ercharged secretions from thy worst-placed hospitalities, curl up a lighter volume to the welkin, so may the descending soot never taint thy costly well-ingredienced soups, nor the odious cry, quick-reaching from street to street, of the fired chimney invite the rattling engines from ten adjacent parishes to disturb for a casual scintillation thy peace and pocket. I am by nature extremely susceptible of street affronts, 
the jeers and taunts of the populace, the low-bred triumph they display over the casual trip or splashed stocking of a gentleman, yet can I endure the jocularity of a young sweep with something more than forgiveness? In the last winter but one, pacing along Cheapside with my accustomed precipitation when I walk westward, a treacherous slide brought me upon my back in an instant. I scrambled up with pain and shame enough, yet outwardly trying to face it down, as if nothing had happened, when the roguish grin of one of these young wits encountered me. There he stood, pointing me out with his dusky finger to the mob, and to a poor woman, I suppose his mother, in particular, till the tears for the exquisiteness of the fun, so he thought, worked themselves out at the corners of his poor red eyes, red from many a previous weeping and soot-inflamed, yet twinkling through all with such a joy, snatched out of desolation, that Hogarth, but Hogarth has got him already, how could he miss him? In the march to Finlay, grinning at the pie-man, there he stood as he stands in the picture irremovable as if the jest was to last for ever with such a maximum of glee and minimum of mischief in his mirth for the grin of a genuine sweep hath absolutely no malice in it that i could have been content if the honour of a gentleman might endure it to have remained his butt and his mockery till midnight I am by theory obdurate to the seductiveness of what are called a fine set of teeth. Every pair of rosy lips, the ladies must pardon me, is a casket, presumably holding such jewels, but methinks they should take leave to air them as frugally as possible. The fine lady, or fine gentleman, who show me their teeth, show me bones, yet must I confess that from the mouth of a true sweep a display, even to ostentation, of those white and shining ossifications, strikes me as an agreeable anomaly in manners, and an allowable piece of foppery. It is as when a sable cloud turns forth her silver lining on the night. It is like some remnant of gallantry not quite extinct a batch of better days, a hint of nobility, and doubtless under the obscuring darkness and double night of their forlorn disguisement, oftentimes lurketh good blood and gentle conditions, derived from lost ancestry and a lapsed pedigree. The premature apprenticements of these tender victims give but too much encouragement, I fear, to clandestine and almost infantile abductions, the seeds of civility and true courtesy, so often discernible in these young grafts, not otherwise to be accounted for, plainly hint at some forced adoptions. Many noble Rachels mourning for their children, even in our days, countenance the fact the tales of fairy spiriting may shadow a lamentable verity, and the recovery of the young Montague be but a solitary instance of good fortune out of many irreparable and hopeless defilations. In one of the state beds at Arundel Castle, a few years since, under a ducal canopy, the seat of the Howards is an object of curiosity to visitors, chiefly for its beds, in which the late duke was especially a connoisseur, encircled with curtains of delicatest 
crimson, with starry coronets inwoven, folded between a pair of sheets whiter and softer than the lap where Venus lulled Ascanius, was discovered by chance, after all method of search had failed, at noonday, fast asleep, a lost chimney-sweeper. The little creature, having somehow confounded his passage among the intricacies of these lordly chimneys, by some unknown aperture, had alighted upon this magnificent chamber, and, tired with his tedious explorations, was unable to resist the delicious invitement to repose, which he there saw exhibited, so, creeping between the sheets very quietly, laid his black head upon the pillow, and slept like a young Howard. Such is the account given to the visitors at the castle, but I cannot help seeming to perceive confirmation of what I have just hinted at in this story. A high instinct was at work in the case, or I am mistaken. It is probable that a poor child of that description, with whatever weariness he might be visited, would have ventured under such a penalty as he would be taught to expect to uncover the sheets of a duke's bed and deliberately to lay himself down between them, when the rug or the carpet presented an obvious couch, still far above his pretensions, is this probable, I would ask, if the great powers of nature, which I contend for, had not been manifested within him, prompting to the adventure? Doubtless, this young nobleman, for such my mind misgives me that he must be, was allured by some memory not amounting to full consciousness, of his condition in infancy when he was used to be lapped by his mother or his nurse in just such sheets as he there found into which he was now but creeping back as into his proper incunabula and resting-place by no other theory than by this sentiment of a pre-existent state as i may call it can i explain a deed so venturous and indeed upon any other system so indecorous in this tender but unstoppable sleeper. My pleasant friend, Jem White, was so impressed with a belief of metamorphoses like this frequently taking place, that in some sort to reverse the wrongs of fortune in these poor changelings, he instituted an annual feast of chimney-sweepers, at which it was his pleasure to officiate as host and waiter. It was a solemn supper held in Smithfield, upon the yearly return of the fair of St. Bartholomew. Cards were issued a week before to the master sweeps, in and about the metropolis, confining the invitation to their younger fry. Now and then, an elderly stripling would get in among us, and be good-naturedly winked at, but our main body were infantry. One unfortunate white, indeed, who, relying upon his dusky suit, had intruded himself into our party, but by tokens was providentially discovered in time to be no chimney-sweeper, all is not soot which looks so, was quieted out of the presence with universal indignation, as not having on the wedding garment, but in general the greatest harmony prevailed. The place chosen was a convenient spot among the pens, at the north side of the fair, not so far distant as to be impervious to the agreeable hubbub of that vanity, but remote enough not to be obvious to the interruption of every gaping spectator in it. The guests assembled about seven. In those little temporary parlours, three tables were spread with napery, not so fine as substantial, 
and at every board a comely hostess presided with her pan of hissing sausages. The nostrils of the young rogues dilated at the savour. James White, as head-waiter, had charge of the first table, and myself, with our trusty companion Bigod, ordinarily ministered to the other two. There was clambering and jostling, you may be sure, who should get at the first table, for Rochester, in his maddest days, could not have done the humours of the scene with more spirit than my friend. After some general expression of thanks for the honour the company had done him, his inaugural ceremony was to clasp the greasy waist of the old dame Ursula, the fattest of the three, that stood frying and fretting, half-blessing, half-cursing, the gentleman, and imprint upon her chaste lips a tender salute, whereat the universal host would set up a shout that tore the conclave, while hundreds of grinning teeth startled the night with their brightness. Oh, it was a pleasure to see the sable yonkers lick in the unctuous meat with his more unctuous sayings, how he would fit the titbits to the puny mouths, reserving the lengthier links for the seniors, how he would intercept a morsel even in the jaws of some young desperado, declaring it must to the pan again to be browned, for it was not fit for a gentleman's eating, how he would recommend this slice of white bread or that piece of kissing crust to a tender juvenile, advising them all to have a care of cracking their teeth, which were their best patrimony, how genteelly he would deal about the small ale, as if it were wine, naming the brewer and protesting if it were not good he should lose their custom with a special recommendation to wipe the lip before drinking then we had our toasts the king the cloth which whether they understood or not was equally diverting and flattering and for a crowning sentiment which never failed may the brush supersede the laurel all these and fifty other fancies which were rather felt than comprehended by his guests would he utter standing upon tables and prefacing every sentiment with a gentleman give me leave to propose so and so which was a prodigious comfort to those young orphans every now and then stuffing into his mouth for it did not do to be squeamish on these occasions indiscriminate pieces of those reeking sausages which pleased them mightily and was the savouriest part you may believe of the entertainment golden lads and lasses must as chimney-sweepers come to dust james white is extinct and with him these suppers have long ceased he carried away with him half the fun of the world when he died of my world at least his old clients look for him among the pens and missing him reproach the altered feast of st bartholomew and the glory of smithfield departed for ever End of section 22